dumb fun. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the podcast with Andy and Steph. Hello! Welcome back! Episode 2, we made it to Musical Woo! the Movie the Podcast. I'm Andy Fleming. Hi, I'm Steph Smith. How's it going, Steph? It's just grand. I'm so big, excited to talk about... Big media response from our first episode. Yeah, I, they can't stop talking about us everywhere. Yeah, the ad dollars are rolling in. <laughs> we have we have to talk about a bunch of mattresses later, because we've got a lot of ad contracts. we got all of the ad contracts. And uh, not only that, but today we're going to talk about... Uh, a little movie called The Sound of Music. The hills, they are alive! Yeah, it's funny, you know, you really can't talk about musicals without, well, the very sound of music. <laughs> you know, I mean, when you think about it, that's at the backbone of every musical. I, I can tell that you're being a little bit facetious here, but I just want to be clear that I really did, like, when I learned how to sing, I was like, do re me, I know about that. Julie Andrews taught me. <laughs> Well, let's just jump right into it, Steph. What is what is your relationship to the sound of music? It narrates everything I do every day. <laughs> no, I I don't remember a time when I didn't know and love this movie. I it's like to say more than anything, it is in me. We've watched it a couple times in in preparation to talk about it, and like I didn't even realize the layers of it that were in me like i'm pretty sure that this is where my little my little baby antifa was born (laughs) (laughs) like that shot of captain von trapp tearing up the nazi flag sure you Um, know for me it was a zootopia (laughs) i didn't know that oh that's what radicalized me was zootopia (laughs) yeah i just i mean so spoiler alert my guest today is uh my sister Mm -hmm. and um I, one of my earliest memories is us doing the So Long Farewell song on the steps of our basement. Um, I, like, I just, it's, it's, it has always been to me the pinnacle of what it is to be a musical. I don't, I mean, I guess maybe we'll get into it, but did you guys like have to like exit and then like run back in and do another part? Yeah, because there are two of us and there are seven Von Trapp children. And and yes, we did fight about who got to be what what child. Well, were you ever in a production? So, um, no, I was not. And I'm totally over it. I was not (laughs) cast in uh, my freshman year of high school. My high school did The Sound of Music. uh, And I was neither in choir at the time, nor do I have any dancing talent. Um, And those were like basically the two criteria for freshmen to be able to be in the musical. And so I was an usher. (laughs) <laughs> I handed out those programs. That was a thing that they would do if you didn't get into the play. You would, oh, you would hell yeah. be an usher. You got to see it for free then. Uh, when I try out for something or like I go to a commercial audition, my concern is not seeing the commercial later. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the difference between you and Appleton, Wisconsin, I guess. <laughs> Fair enough. It was a great performance. It was, I remember being so jealous and also just so happy to get to be in the room where where someone was performing The Sound of Music. And that sounds really sad as I say it now, but still, I'm 
<laughs> I mean, it genuinely. Do you remember who played Maria? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, her name is Elisa Jordheim. She is a professional opera singer. Wow. She was basically a professional opera singer at the time when she was still in high school. We went to a great, uh, a town that really supported the arts is where we grew up. Appleton, Wisconsin. So all of our shows that we did were double cast because there were so many kids who wanted to be involved. And real quick, when you say that, you don't mean like how I was um, quintuple cast as the five senses (laughs) in every man and we would all have to walk out and say all the lines together at the same time, right? Okay, so to be clear, I do also mean that, but specifically (laughs) they would like, they would cut up all the shows and they would have two different casts. So you'd have a cast A and a cast B and no one who was in cast B ever felt inferior to cast (laughs) A. That never would hurt feelings. (laughs) They couldn't have called it like red team, blue team, you know what I mean? No, that's not possible. But famously, they didn't double cast Maria and then she got sick and so it was like there was a scramble there's a lot of drama in the drama program did you like did you go into the director's office and you were like I've been watching (laughs) every day I know these steps I know it all (laughs) no she had an understudy uh, and her understudy was but I think her understudy Charlotte Church (laughs) (laughs) I went to high school with Charlotte Church did you know that yeah, you went to the number one opera school in Wisconsin. <laughs> so I I do know some... What was your relationship to The Sound of Music? Uh, Steph, my relationship to The Sound of Music is... I watched it for the first dang time for this podcast. Can you believe that? <laughs> I, I had I never seen The Sound of Music until we decided to watch it for this podcast. And I it was a huge movie blind spot for me. Like, not even in musicals, just as a movie. But... There was something, like, it was only that I was in my 30s that I started to be like, oh, I should see Sound of Music. And before that, it was just kind of this <laughs> thing that was so ubiquitous that I never even felt the need to see it. You know, we we learned Do, Re, Mi in music class in grade mm-hmm, school. Mm-hmm. The first three notes. Of course, yeah. And Fa, So, La, etc. But then uh, also, you know, I, the hills are alive with the sound of Griswold. That's a reference I knew. <laughs> you know, that helicopter shot is, is recreated everywhere. So, I like, I knew all these big references. I knew, like, there's a Family Guy bit where they sing So Long, Farewell. Like, these are all, like, I was just getting it in little pieces from everywhere. But not until I sat down and watched this movie uh, had I watched the whole thing. What would you say? So I I do remember when I found out that you had never seen The Sound of Music and I felt like maybe it was possible that you couldn't know me as a person <laughs> until, until until we watched this movie. But like, what do you were you like nervous? Did it was it like built up in your mind? Did it have a did, it, did it shadow loom? So honestly, the biggest problem for me going in was that it was 3 hours long. And <laughs> That's fair. And that's like, I mean, that's just, that's still a problem, you know, to this day, uh, the Batman looking at you. But then, I, I mean, I guess I'll just go ahead and say now that watching it, there's pretty much nothing you can cut from this movie. I mean, this is like a perfect movie, this movie. It's like an airtight three hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, truly. Uh, incredible movie. Um, I really loved it. I, I was so taken by not just the performances and the uh, the songs, but the cinematography and the locations that they perfectly frame in every shot of this movie if there if there was an oscar for location directing like it this movie (laughs) should be the only one that ever got it you know uh so yeah it was it didn't it didn't loom i was just sort of like i I just want to get that out of the way and i did not expect to love it as much as i did but now here i am a a full-fledged sound head 
a sound <laughs> hound. They call it. They call <laughs> a it sound, sound hounds. Hound. Yeah, that's we're known as the world over. Yeah. Well, should we introduce the two sound hounds we have joining us today? Yeah, man. Can I go first? Uh, yeah, as always, we Steph invites a guest kind of from, from her world of theater, and I invite a guest from my world of comedy. You know her from the stairs <laughs> in our basement in Madison, Wisconsin. She lived under them, like Harry <laughs> Potter. I just really liked the idea of Maddie having to live in like the creepy half-basement in our <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is my sister, Maddie Smith. Hi, Maddie. Hey, to be fair, our other house later, I did like petition our parents. I made a PowerPoint to build a clubhouse under the basement stairs. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. They did not fall for it. Our other guest, he's he's uh, just one of the funniest, most creative dudes I know. He has a podcast called How Dottie's Fast Track, as well as uh, it, it has its own spinoff. Uh, the, I, I'm not even sure I could get the name right, but it's something like the parrot, the parrot, the paradise, the parodies paradise. How Dottie's Fast Track and the parodies of paradise. It's like a Harry Potter title, this thing. <laughs> and and then he's he's also just a, a great comedian, a great musician, uh, one of my favorite dudes in the world. Give up for give it up. There's no audience here. <laughs> it's Hal Dottie. Hal Dottie is here. Hey, Hal. Please give it up for me, please. <laughs> How's it going, Hal? Uh, it's going great. I ca- I can't tell you how excited I am to be here to talk about the sound of music one of if not my favorite movie i, I just want to say that you my, when i originally approached you is to do a, a sort of what do they call it a crossover episode yeah with fast track because fast track is your show where you have a guest on you write a song in 30 minutes basically right yes and there is i'll, I'll just say to cl- to clear up any confusion <laughs> there is a there's a paywalled spinoff show called premium song parody paradise where we write a parody song and we use a paradise to determine the song and the topic of the parody, which uh, Andy has been on one of my favorite episodes of all time. We wrote a we wrote a parody of How Do I Live Without You about Chicago-style hot dog. And shot a video for it. How you and I met about um, 30 seconds ago. Yeah. So I haven't had a chance to tell you that that song gets in my head like oh, yeah. once a week. And it's truly beautiful. Well, the reason I ended up doing a video of that one, it's the only fast track adjacent song that I've done a video of with, of course, starring Andy um, in a great in a great single shot take at uh, Planet of the Tapes. The reason I ended up doing a video for that was because I got in my head so much that I would I found for maybe a month. I was listening to it on every walk I took with my dog. <laughs> now, and I'll also say that while shooting that video, you you gave me a very clear directive that if you die in the next 10 years, and after that, I think I need to get an updated consent from you yeah. on this. Yeah. But if you die in the next 10 years, I am to perform that song at your funeral. I've, I've told my parents that now, that my parents are aware of that now. But Maddie, in the meantime, uh, do you want to tell us about your relationship to Sound of Music? I'm sure it's very similar to Seth's, but you must have had your own relationship to it as well. I literally had in my notes that I don't remember a time when I didn't know this movie. <laughs> so yes, very similar. I, from a very young age, as Steph said, grew up watching it, knowing it, performing it. Um, I've never been in an official performance, but you heard about The Basement. And <laughs> I've been told that I also performed... For our grandparents in the car the entirety of the movie, not just the songs, from start to finish on a very long car ride once. So, Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty deep. Um, I also got the opportunity to go to Austria and see, it wasn't an official Sound of Music tour, but we did go to many of the spots where it was filmed. A lot of, obviously, just the mountain scenery and 
that was also just a very special moment um, to be kind of in the movie. Honestly, that's like, I've never like had a deep desire to go to Austria until I saw this movie. And now I just want to go to all these beautiful places. It's and, the best. Yeah. And just frame them up for selfies. You know what I mean? Just get those, <laughs> get those likes. You know what I mean? Uh, what about you, Hal? Uh, well, yeah. Similarly, I don't remember a time when I didn't know about it. I feel like I grew up, this movie was like part of my family. It was like a family member or something. Like we watched it all the time. My whole family watched it all the time. I remember not becoming aware that it was like everybody else's thing until maybe like high school when which was when I started to become or probably grade school was when I started to become aware that it was this ubiquitous cultural thing that was maybe like considered a children's movie or like a corny thing for some people or like just something that's uh, like very banal or quaint or something for for everybody else and I pushed against that pretty hard in high school to the extent that like this was in danger of becoming the kind of bit that I like to do where I like to set myself apart from people in some weird way where Sound of Music became my favorite movie in high school. And I got a kick, I think, out of telling people like like all these, you know, scuzzy punk dudes that I was hanging out with that Sound of Music was my f- absolute favorite mo- movie and that it was a great fucking movie and that it was the best movie of all time and you, you wouldn't understand it, whatever, like all that shit. And the thing is, it, it probably would have fallen off after that, after that, like, you know, after it turning into that kind of thing for me, uh, like an identity thing for me, if it wasn't uh, so good. Every time I go back and watch it again, I'm floored even more by how beautiful it is, by how uh, perfect. Yeah, like you said, there's absolutely nothing to cut from it. It's pitch perfect. It's got unbelievable casting and scenery and cinematography and direction all through it. I think it is absolutely one of the greatest cinematic achievements of all time, as well as like musically, it me- it means a tremendous amount to me. It's funny, you brought me on as like your comedy guy, and you've already got a bunch of people l- who love the movie on the show. I'm not going to be funny about this movie at all. This movie is, it, it, I love it wholeheartedly and sincerely. Actually, I, Maddie, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to do this. I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to one up you here. Oh boy. I didn't come in to do this, but I, I have taken the official <laughs> Sound of Music oh, tour in go. Salzburg. Wow. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You see the gazebo? I'm so genuinely uh, jealous I have right been, now. I've been, I've been to Salzburg. I took a bus tour where they gave us little packets of Edelweiss, and they they drove us past the gazebo. You're not allowed to go to the gazebo because you're cause you're disgusting, you're, you're filth, and you're not you allowed to, the to sully the, to, the to gazebo. To right up in front of it, not not into it. But Oh, wait, you got closer. You probably got closer to the gazebo than I did on the official tour. You got to be in a choir of 40 kids from Wisconsin yeah. to get to that gazebo. I don't know. I've just, I just love this movie a lot. I watch it a couple times a year by myself you know like or or with my wife or you know or with somebody who wants to watch it it's one of my favorite movies and it's probably the movie that's been my favorite movie the longest so i do love the idea of you in high school being like wait you guys know about sound of music too (laughs) and they're like yeah it's the fucking most popular movie of all time of course we've heard of it yeah yeah i i have a i have a memory of like someone trying to sell me on uh, of me complaining about how i hated buffalo 66 and someone being like well what's your favorite movie and i was like 
Well, Sound of Music. <laughs> and they just looked at me like I was in- insane or something. Well, you know what's funny is that, that I, what I learned in my research for this is from the beginning, that was the attitude, is that there were people who were like, this is sappy, this is saccharine. Yeah. Uh, Bosley Crowther, who's a crotchety old film critic from who active in this era, wrote this just scathing review of it and just hated it. And he's wrong, obviously. Right. But uh, So I the opening credits of this movie had a credit that really confused me. Uh, and that was with partial use of ideas by George Hertelek. And I researched this and went down quite the rabbit hole, which basically led me down the story of The Sound of Music. The first published version of the story was a memoir by the real Maria called The Story of the Von Trapp Family Singers in 1945. And then in 1956 in West Germany, the, the aforementioned George Hertelek writes a movie in German, based on the memoir called Die Trap Family. And it's such a success that they make a sequel two years later called Die Trap Family in America. Oh, wow. Paramount Pictures buys the rights to it, thinking that they're going to adapt it into a movie start for Audrey Hepburn. But they lose interest and they drop it. But one of the directors of that, who was going to direct it as a movie, is like, hey, what if it's a stage musical for Mary Martin? The only reason I think anyone our age would know who Mary Martin is, is that she was in a Peter Pan VHS. Hell that, yeah, like, she I, was. I watched a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. But so they go to Rodgers and Hammerstein and they're like, hey, will you write like one or two songs for the family to sing? And Rodgers and Hammerstein listen to the score for the play and they go, that's not going to work. That that won't mesh with our styles. We'll, we'll just write a whole new score for it instead. And that's how Rodgers and Hammerstein <laughs> write all the songs for The Sound of Music. Yeah. Fox buys the rights to the play for $1.25 million against 10% of the profits, which would end up being $16 million. Like they would end up getting that $1.25 million back over tenfold. And yeah, so that's that's how The Sound of Music gets made. They they get Julie Andrews in this thing. Wow. All of that based on ideas George by Hurdelick. that one George Hurdelick. Andy, did you know that it was based on a real family? You know, I guess I didn't know that right away. And then I think I learned that later. But so, and because at some point I'm like, would this really happen? Happened. Well, they really send a nun to go babysit a bunch of kids? And I'm like, oh, it did happen. Okay. In my rewatching, I had to remind myself. I was like, God, this is such a good plot. Like, the music <laughs> is so good like just the range of everything great but also just like the writing and character development and um just all these plot points i was like all right yeah every scene has a nice little beat that that moves the plot forward and gives you a little taste of what this family's all about i do remember on the um they talked a bit about the real family on uh the sound of music tour in salzburg andy have you seen a picture of the of the real family I haven't. Uh, in my memory, and I could be making this up, in my memory, Maria, the real Maria Von Trapp is this towering figure. She was like taller than anyone else in the in the family. She was this, she was a large, large, powerful woman. And I, I think she was even like maybe taller than uh, Georg Von Trapp in real life. I'll say it. She, she's shaped like a nun. Okay. Yeah. Are you looking at a picture of her now? <laughs> yeah. And she looks like a nun to me. Apparently, the other thing they told us on the tour was that she ate nothing but cheese. Hell Yeah. And, oh, you just you just lit up these Wisconsin girls. Uh, and <laughs> and actually, <laughs> unfortunately, she ate so much cheese that her stomach folded and she died because of it. She died from eating too much cheese. What a way to go! Frankly, worth <laughs> it. Escapes the Nazis, dies of too much cheese. <laughs> Can you imagine making it past the Third Reich to get brought down by dairy? I just I <laughs> that's one of the I, and I hadn't thought about it, but that is one of the most memorable experiences of that tour of taking that tour was a bus full of Sound of Music fans and the lady at the front being like, she ate so much cheese that her stomach folded and she died. And everyone's like, oh, fuck. 
I, you know, one of the horrors of growing up has been, like, learning things about human bodies that you didn't know before. I did not know that that was a possible way to your stomach could fold. I I don't, I still don't know what that means. I don't know what it means that your stomach folded, uh, but I, doesn't sound good. No, I do want to try it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a three hour movie. We should probably jump into this plot. (laughs) All right. We open with wind whistling through some gorgeous helicopter shots of the Austrian mountains and birds chirping that turn into piping flutes that zoom into Julie Andrews in a page boy haircut singing the titular sound of music. The only thing that I want to say about this opening song is that as a child, I remember being so bored being like, nothing's happening. When will this stuff happen? And now, as an adult, I watched it. I would watch this opening number on repeat by itself daily, I think. I think that I could live happily in this opening number. That's actually something I, I've thought about the last few times that I've watched it. it. It's become kind of an obsession of mine, is that the opening overture and just the shots of Salzburg, like sort of before we build up to that, as the as the music is sort of building to where you're going to like land on her. Uh-huh. I would watch a movie that was just that music and those shots. Amen. You're describing planet Earth? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, I also did read that Julie Andrews had a lot of trouble staying on her feet while a helicopter came very close to her to get these shots. Oh, God. Because I was watching this, and I'm like, what is that, a drone? No, they didn't exist yet. I'm like, I guess that's a... <laughs> that's a helicopter and sure enough like i read that she was having to dig her high heels into the grass so that she wouldn't fall over when the helicopter got close to her i've always imagined that it was like a little plane but that yeah a plane would be even harder to maneuver in that way but i guess it's hard for it's also hard for me to put a helicopter into this time into this time period so that's why same yeah yeah well it's like if they had a helicopter why didn't they just take that out instead of just walking across Uh, exactly yeah yeah using it to get shots So we transition into an overture. I love a musical overture. And I just have to say, like talking about musicals in movie format, like try putting that on a stage anywhere. You could have, you know, the best painting, whatever, the best set crew, but just that opening setting for this movie, like you're fucking there. You're in those mountains in that time. And you just really can't capture that. Yeah. in a live performance. That's true of every shot of this movie. And I mean, especially as, you know, in a couple of songs from now when she's going to sing her song that she sings on her way to the, to the Von Trapp house where she's just going through every location. She's going to do it again later in Do Re Mi. And like, mm-hmm. these are things that you could not do. I mean, I don't know what Carrie Underwood's ass was doing on the live version in 2013, <laughs> yeah. but it wasn't this. No. And the, with the montages too in those songs, just capturing like the passage of time and the development of the relationships with her and the kids. We'll get to it, but it was just so well done in the movie. When Stephanie was saying at the beginning that, that she was disappointed that she wasn't in a stage production of it, I was thinking about how I was I was in some stage productions in high school. I'm glad I wasn't in a Sound of Music stage production because they're not as good. And I think that's the, <laughs> o- that's the overall point. I love the music, but they're not as good for a lot of reasons. And um, I think if I had been in one, I probably would maybe get have gotten more tired of some of this, of hearing, like hearing and singing these songs mm. instead of having mm. them presented to me in this in this setting. See, and this, I do want to say, this is the crux of what the podcast is about, is when these plays go from movie, go from stage to screen, sometimes it's a lot better and sometimes it's a lot worse. Yeah. And this is an occasion where you couldn't begin to do what you did on stage or what the, what you couldn't begin to do on a, in a play what they do in this movie. Yeah. So we get this overture. It's, it's a visual overture of 
the Salzburg area that we're gonna we're gonna get to know well. It's the and full we... credits, by the way, because they used to do that then. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. I mean, it, it's like the grip is in there. I mean, everybody. <laughs> and, the, and then at the end, it's just like the end, fade to black, done. I mean, it's a three-hour movie. They got to get it in up front. Nobody's watching it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have a, a mid-credits scene. No, there was no post-credit the scene. Yeah, I watched all the way through. <laughs> Darth Vader subtly breathing in the background at the end of the full credit. Somehow the Nazis have returned. Oh, like they kind of have you guys. Oh yeah, that's oh. right. Oh, yeah. too soon now. But importantly, we don't fade to black. We fade to nuns singing in big blocky harmonies. They're just gorgeous. I don't have, we all have complicated relationships with the Catholic Church, but like... <laughs> May we all have the voices of these nuns. And then we meet, like, this inner circle of popular nuns who are gossiping about one of the new postulates. Yeah, we meet the mean uh, girl nuns. <laughs> yeah. They are, though. It's, so the song is called How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria. It is, I'm going to say, seven named characters literally just bitching about how annoying <laughs> this young nun is. Yeah. The story starts, like all great stories do, with a woman getting fired. okay so we haven't heard andy's song yet but it did occur to me that you could just take the theme song from the nanny and just (laughs) apply it generally to this movie she has smile she has flair this is a terrific scene it's a it's a very funny scene I was kind of going through some of my favorite scenes in the movie earlier today and like I was noting how the timing is so good between these other the other actors in this in this scene when the music starts it's almost like they've already been singing for a while like because it's so it's so funny everything is timed so well all the lines are timed so well and it's blocked super super well it's this is a fantastic scene it's blocked like in these big stage shots which they don't stick to through they do such a good job of like robert weiss is his name the director he does such a good job of like taking advantage of the fact that he's on film and he can explore changes in time but with these nuns you get these like big stage shots where we see them like up on the stage and they've like you know worked out their spacing Mm -hmm. yeah so although they are roasting her I actually, like, listening to the song now is more, you know, into adulthood and having thought about interpersonal dynamics more. Their point is actually a little bit more gentle, I think, or, like, more accepting of this is Maria's nature. It's not going to fit in every situation. You know, Sister Berta's going to hate her and vice versa, but... You know, how do we solve this problem? Like, where can we put her? How can she find a way to succeed with that nature that she has? It's like with astrology, like you can work against yourself or with yourself, but you're going to, you know, your life's going to be where what it is. You're going to end up where you are. And I I found that level of nuance (laughs) in this rewatch that I had not heard before through all of the snark. Also, that song fucking slaps. It does. The melodies. It's great. Yeah. It does. So I think it's sort of half and half because, I mean, there's literally a point where one of them says she's a darling. The next one says she's a demon. demon. And that's, that's pretty serious to these guys. Yeah. Uh, th- you know, I, I call someone a demon. That's whatever. I just like Buffy. These guys hate demons. But, <laughs> so, And then the next person calls her a lamb. But then the next person says she'd outpest her any pest. So they really can't get a handle. And it seems like half of them like her. Half of them are just like, uh, right, we, we got to get her out of here. They call her Fliberty Gibbet and a Will-o'-the-Wisp. I think we should put some cursing in this when we remake the movie, I think. I don't think those insults hold up. <laughs> I have a feeling that nuns have like a, when they're amongst themselves, they are probably, anything goes. They're probably allowed to just like, cause it's, 
it's it's just them. They don't have any children around them, you know, that they're yeah. that they could corrupt. It's them and God. <laughs> right, but they have I feel like they have a special relationship with God where God is their, you know, God is their husband, right? Is that that's the that's at least what I what I remember uh hearing in in Catholic school myself as yeah, well. Yeah, it's a lot like big love. <laughs> so if if God's your husband, you're allowed to let your hair down a little bit around him, I think. A lot a lot like big love. Yeah. <laughs> they all have very long hair. <laughs> Sister wives, you ever see that? Very long hair. So the way that you solve a problem like Maria is to sign her up for spring break as a governess in the suburbs. (laughs) Truly the nanny. (laughs) And Maria leaves the Abbey dressed in wool, tweed, and a leather hat. Oh my god, that hat. That that hat hat. is so good. I don't... She's so trendy, actually. I've never seen anything like it. flat-brimmed leather hat. It's incredible. And the way that she uses it as she's saying... What is this next song called? It's called I Have Confidence. I Have Confidence. confidence. (laughs) Okay, everybody calm down. (laughs) The way that she works that hat as she sings I Have Confidence, running through the streets of of Austria or Salzburg, and then tripping in front of the Von Trapp family house. Like, it's it's all great. I mean, Julie Andrews is truly a star. Uh, yeah, it's every, it's everything. It, it's it's Julie Andrews firing on all cylinders. To Maddie's point earlier, it's like uh, it's something you probably couldn't replicate as well as this on a stage because all it is, all it is, is her running down a gravel road with a suitcase and a guitar, and somehow it has everything that you want from a big musical number because she's just acting so like she's just flailing around with these two props. That's all it is, and a fantastic fucking hat. Oh, <laughs> at the end of the song, we have like a full understanding of Maria. She does yeah. have confidence. She can do whatever the fuck she wants to do. There's a great cut also in the middle of it where it just cuts right to her looking out the window of the bus. It's so it's timed really, really well. And it like it moves. It gives you like, yeah, it's the first time in the movie where you realize, like, oh, okay, we're going to be moving along. We're going to keep we're going to move along. Yeah. From, from the pacing from passage of shit that's going on here and julie andrews was not a star and in fact when they cast this movie mary poppins had not even been released so she had no she had no bankability so to say so to speak zero clout on this lady yeah Yeah. but the story goes that they the director i think robert weiss saw a screening he like got dailies of of mary poppins and he was like oh we need to get her before this gets out and people start getting her for everything. Yeah, I don't. So Maria then gets to the house. She, we've got some like cute business with the asshole butler. This viewing, I did realize for the first time how the butler wants to be a Nazi and like is the mm-hmm. one who betrays them. And so I'm just, I just realized that I'm feeling some like genuine hatred toward him, <laughs> which is why I called you, him an asshole. Wait, I'm sorry. Is that explicitly? Is that an interpretation? He or watches what? out the window when they are pushing their car before they're caught right. outside. And the, the other yeah. thing is that when we meet Ralph for the first, Ralph shows up. He's he's got a telegram that he Franz mm. the butler meets Ralph the the Nazi boy. <laughs> this is what he is. Yeah, Ralph the Nazi boy, and asks him if there have been any developments. He's just immediately rude to Maria. Um, like at least Roth has has some charm for for a minute. He does. Mm, he really does. Does he? So Maria comes in the house. She's just taken by the grandeur. 
I love the scene where she like peeks into a very ornate ballroom and then starts doing practice curtsies because it's just she's just like overwhelmed with the fanciness of this room. And then we hear the thud of Captain Von Trapp's entrance when he tells her that there are some rooms in this house that are not to be disturbed. Oh, chill in my soul. Yeah, he tells her not to go into the West Wing. (laughs) Is that right? And we watched a couple of movies. I forget. <laughs> but so then quickly he he calls down the kids, right? Yeah, with his whistle. With his whistle. Instead of saying, hello, lovely children. Pulls out the famous pulled, he whistle. He pulls out his whistle, which I think is a boatswain whistle. I, in learn, in reading about this, I learned that this is like a real type of whistle. It's like a, it's like a little navy color for him because he's a naval hero. Did you guys ever think about like what your whistle call would be? Did, wow. did you? Can you give me? That's a great question. I remember thinking about it, but I think I also landed on, like, I don't want to be called by a whistle. Much like Maria. Whistles are for dogs. Yeah. When I was a kid, my dad would, much like stuff is right now, his his room was right on the other side of the wall from my room. And so to wake me up in the morning, he would knock shaving a haircut on the wall. And he would not stop until I responded with two bits to let him know that I was awake. I, I don't think I would mind if I had a shave and a haircut whistle. <laughs> and, and especially if I had my own whistle where I got to whistle back two bits. I'm kind of imagining what my what my mother would do into a whistle to call me as a small child. I think it would have been something like, Wee-hoo. Like that's what I think it'd be something along those those lines. Actually, I changed my mind. I, I want a slide whistle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would certainly, I, as a kid, I would have complained. I would have been like, give me something hard. Give me something that's like, with some like triplets in it or something yeah in fact i want them to like drop a beat when they want me i wanted i want the dj to just just go off man just do that give me some dubstep some dubstep has someone made a dubstep remix of the whistle scene (laughs) (laughs) it'd be pretty easy georg is going they do that so the kids like all march in and they do have like a little cadence to their they're like yeah Oh, these yeah, are yeah. professional child actors. They do a syncopated march. It's like very, yeah. it's very memorable. Every time yeah. you watch it, you, 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 like your mind remembers the way that they march because they go dump, dump, da dump, da dump, da dump. It's like they're playing a little secret game. What, what do we call it? There's seven of them. There, seven. Yeah, importantly. All right, let's see how many of them I can name. Uh, so you got Liesel. She's the oldest. Yep. I'm pretty sure you got Friedrich right under that. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then you got a girl. Yeah. And then you got Kurt. <laughs> yep. And then I'm pretty sure it's another girl. Um, Starts with a B. Brigida? Yep. Brigida. Brigida. Well, yeah, Brigida. And then I'm going to call it another girl. And this is the one who walks in reading a book. Brigida's, no, Brigida's the, the one who walks, walks in, in reading, reading the book. Reading yeah. The book. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So then who's the second youngest? That's Marta. She's pretty forgettable, though. Marta. And then and then wrap it all up with uh, Greta, who's the star of the Gretel, show. Gretel, yeah. Marta wants a pretty pink parasol. That's how you remember who Marta mm-hmm. is. That's and all that's we all about. we know about her. <laughs> <laughs> and she never gets it. Like that, usually in a movie in act one, if yeah. you set something up for a character, their I want moment, yeah. they get to pay it off in act three. Chekhov's parasol. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I was going to say is that I love that you were like, and then there's a girl, because I think the only time we hear something specific about Louisa is later on when Maria's yelling about how much she loves the kids. And the only thing she can say about Louisa is, Louisa, I don't know about. Yeah. <laughs> And Louisa does come off like an asshole in this scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, straight up, all the kids come off like assholes. But yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but she's like the she's the one when they descend upon her like vipers she's the sort of the focus of that and i think she comes off she's definitely like in my gut she's the worst one she's the worst kid <laughs> she's driving that that chaos yeah for me the the for me the one who and it's not even that he outwardly seems the worst but it's just i see something in his eyes that's evil is kurt oh no. i just feel like kurt is a little monster. I, I feel love like Kurt. He's I incorrigible. Kurt. He is incorrigible, but I do think that he tortures small animals. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. I think he's going to grow up with more empathy than the yeah. other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Friedrich's like biting Gretel's fingers, so yeah, that wasn't really never addressed. More concern <laughs> toward Friedrich. Free- Friedrich. It seems like he he would a few years later he would have no problem becoming a Nazi himself. Yes. yes. Um. Well, these kids are a mess. Literally, what I wrote down in my summary here is the children are immediately and obviously terrible. <laughs> yeah. And they've they've run through a number of nannies. Uh, or what do they call them? Governesses. Governess. Uh, governess. 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 Yeah. governess. Their early prank is they put a frog in Maria's coat. And then uh, later that night at dinner, they put a pine cone on her chair. How evil. Yeah. The, yeah, these kids would have a YouTube channel now <laughs> where they do all their terrible pranks. What I love about this, though, so I, they they put a pine cone on her chair and then Maria, like, doesn't blow up their spot, but she gives them that good Catholic guilt trip about the frog incident and they all start crying. Like, they have been little shits for their entire lives and the minute someone confronts them about it, they just break down. I love that. Yeah. yeah, she knows how to manipulate people yeah. better than any of the other governesses, yes. I think. I wrote down that nobody takes any shit around here. Like, the captain comes in with this tough guy act, the kids are like, we're running the show, and Maria's like, yeah, actually, I'm gonna, you know, reverse that back on you. And it's just they're all, like, asserting their dynamics early, yeah. and then we get to watch how they kind of fold into each other, much like Maria's stomach did later. She's <laughs> 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 filled stomach. <laughs> Well, that's what they needed. That's what all these little assholes needed. They needed someone who was as big an asshole as them to show them what it's like. Exactly. Yeah. yeah that's really the crux of this movie. That was the original tagline, I think. <laughs> Seven little assholes. Oh, we said we were going to talk. <laughs> we we weren't going to talk about buttholes this episode. <laughs> I was not. I was not part of the discussion. Okay. I, I didn't agree to not talk about buttholes. <laughs> I have a whole butthole thing later to, that I was going to do. <laughs> Last week's episode, Hal, and I know this is going to hurt your feelings that you weren't on this one, uh, was Cats, which is oh, a, yeah. a, a movie I know you also love. I've yeah, I love Cats a lot. That's also that's another one where I would I would you could not pay me to go see that on stage, but I love the movie. Same, although I th- I think it would be fun if we did a field trip to go see it on stage. <laughs> Are there enough edibles in the world? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. All right, so um, Lisa leaves dinner because a young Aryan blonde boy, Ralph, the aforementioned Nazi Ralph, appears with the telegram for the captain. This is where we get Franz asking for any developments. Yeah. Now, at this point, I, he, he's not wearing a, a swastika or anything, but I, I turn to you and I go, this kid's a Nazi, right? Yeah. And we'll talk about this. We do get very explicit later on obviously but like everything about this kid is like walks like a nazi talks like a nazi Mm -hmm. now to be clear he does not goose step into the scene (laughs) when you say walks like a nazi (laughs) 
He's holding the two fingers over his, <laughs> over his upper lip and keeps, keeps stepping in to deliver the telegram. So yeah, so Ralph has a telegram for the captain. The captain has to leave to go to see Baroness Schrader and Uncle Max, and we don't know who they are yet, but we will. Yeah, because Ralph, Ralph always has these telegrams, but really, they're just these little, they're kind of excuses for him to get these little sick thrills that he gets from hanging out with Liesl. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Liesl immediately sneaks away, um, and they, Liesl and Ralph share some telegram-based wordplay. Um, we get our first shot of that dim, romantic 60s lighting, and a famous yeah. gazebo. Yeah, the gazebo, all the, all the close-up gazebo scenes were on a soundstage, and uh-huh. they rebuilt the, the, actual, the original gazebo, they rebuilt it, like, bigger, so they could run around in it and shit, and so there's the, this great gazebo scene with very very different lighting than everything uh-huh. <laughs> but it's some incredibly impressive footwork uh yeah. by these two actors as they run around on the benches inside the gazebo yeah as a child i think like i mean and it's pretty overtly thrown in our face that like this is supposed to be your love interest yeah um, but i remember thinking like i this guy's an asshole. Like, I don't aspire to that relationship. Like, she's this whole song. playing to him. Yeah. You know, because, like, she's like, oh, this is going to make him like me more if I'm like, yeah, I'm your little damsel. And, like, you're my big, strong Nazi boy or whatever. So, like, <laughs> even as a child, I was very aware, like, this guy sucks. This is not it. But that dance was yeah. goals. Like, mm-hmm. that's all I have ever wanted. You have a wedding coming up soon. That could be a good first oh, dance. Oh, we'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> It strikes a great balance where, he, yeah, the the scene allows him to be uh, an idiot and an asshole in that he's even, it, before they start dancing, he's even talking about how, like, he says some, like, uh, I can't remember the exact lines, but vaguely or explicitly Nazi-ass shit. And he's, like, giving up secrets. Yeah, and then uh, and then his whole song is very condescending to her. It's about yeah. how she's she's not yet ready for the world or whatever. And so it's, like, it's a great thing where you simultaneously get to feel the way she feels that she's getting attention from someone and love from someone. But it's all, but you're also like, this guy is a fucking dud. Get away. Like you feel, you get to feel those two things at the same time. And then she gets a kiss. She does the wee thing at the end of it, which is a great shot. It looks very crazy. She looks insane in the last (laughs) shot of this scene. She steps out of the gazebo and goes, wee. And she looks, it's, fucking crazy the way she looks in this literally like thunder and lightning are striking as she's elated it's a great pause moment i really recommend it if you're going back through and watching it again try to pause it on that (laughs) it's so good we's a really weird thing to say after a kiss yeah (laughs) also i mean well she's only 16 going on 17 she doesn't uh i don't know how he says it but she doesn't know much now, here's, do you think that the that song is supposed to come off as condescending, or do you think it's supposed to come off as romantic to 1965 audiences? Do you think that's sort of what women were told to look for in a relationship with someone to take care of them and tell them what to do? I think a little bit of both. I, I like what Hal's saying about, like, we get this sign that, like, you know that people are receiving this lesson, that this is, like, what a narrative is. But also, like, as you hear it, you're like, hmm... It's not yeah. it. It's like being talked down to by an asshole. You're like, this guy's an asshole. He has a few points, though. Like, he has, he, he has some... Right, hang on, I'm just right marking on my timestamp that at this time in the podcast house said the Nazi had a few points. <laughs> and... <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm clapping us back in after you edit that out. 
and now we're inside Maria's room. So that thunderstorm uh, carries us into Maria's room. I just want to highlight that we get some some great sassy exposition from Frau Schmidt, the housekeeper, who's just like in here for the gossip. And then Maria does her nighttime prayers. Liesel crawls in the window because that's the only way back into a house, apparently. Um, but yeah. Maria, again, doesn't blow up her spot. She's earning some trust. We learn about that the kids know how to climb into this room because that's how they used to play pranks. And Louisa can make... Evil Louisa can make the climb with a whole jar of spiders in her hand. And that's just... That's some charming shit to me. Can you imagine a child climbing... Or like a teenager climbing into your room with a <laughs> jar of spiders? <laughs> That's an insanely fucked up thing to do. That's like sounds like a Annabelle uh, movie plot point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not like fu- that's not funny at all. At all, that's so fucked up to release Austrian a bunch spiders. Of spiders into somebody's room. Where are you getting a jar of spiders at? Oh, that's a really great question that I've never, literally, never thought about. These kids are out like harvesting spiders <laughs> from somewhere. <laughs> They have, they have a spider, spider farm. Fa- they have a spider farm. Yeah, I bet Louise is breeding them. She would. She's got some sick, like Tim Burton esque thing out in the out in the woods <laughs> near near the house. Or a big uh, Aragog creature, like in Harry Potter. Again, yeah. Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, last week I was MCU. This week I can't stop referencing Harry Potter. <laughs> Just hello, Louisa. Uh, you have come for more of my children. I see. <laughs> Gotta kill another governess. <laughs> <laughs> Bring the governess to me by midnight. <laughs> All right, so they're going to sing my favorite things. And it is just, I mean, it's dancing and pillow fights. And those kids are cheered right up. I know for me, when I was a kid, and when I would get scared of a thunderstorm, the one person I had to go see <laughs> was the nanny I just met that afternoon. <laughs> yeah, well, at this point, you get the you get the feeling that if they ran to Christopher Plummer, he would beat them with like That's an old true. wooden board or something. <laughs> And then the captain shows up and he's angry that they have not observed bedtime. In an insanely awesome after dinner oh, jacket that this yes. one is one of mm. it, it's he's so just wearing good. that thing. It's wearing him, I gotta say. And then we like smash cut to he's gone and he's right. There's order has immediately dissolved. The kids are wearing play clothes that Maria has made yep. out of the drapes of her bedroom. And they're montaging all around Salzburg singing Do Re Mi. Do Re Mi. Let's talk about it. I mean, you talk about the kids coiled like vipers getting ready to attack Maria. There's a point in the beginning of the song where it looks to me like they are uh, going to eat her. <laughs> you mean when they're like bouncing uh, towards her on the they're hill? They're like bouncing yeah. and getting closer and closer. And it really seems like they want to eat, uh, feed on her flesh for sustenance. But then they turn and they spin through the mountains in joy. This is a is a great scene. I'm going to say that about. I, I should just don't let me say that again. They're all great scenes. But uh, what's funny about this to me is I, I I've been traveling. I have spent the day with small children. I have traveled with small children. There's absolutely no way you're getting them this chill <laughs> for the entire fucking day and on board for everything that you want to do. You're, you're like picking out tomatoes and stuff, and they're just standing there like this is fun. No, she'd have to like. She'd have to be feeding them every 20 minutes or something. She'd have to be stopping the whole operation. They'd have to be stopping the song to deal with some kid crying over something. I mean, they're of different ages. They're going to have different moods. The, that This actual trip, in reality, was probably a, a real nightmare. So this this first part of the song, Do Re Mi, is 
again, it's kind of old hat for me because it was it was taught to me in music class. And so I'm kind of not all that impressed for the first half of it. And then this song has a second half that is not as well known, I think, to a lot of people that is, I gotta say, an absolute fucking showstopper. Yeah. I mean, by the end of this thing, Julie Andrews is hitting a high C. Oh, yeah. And these kids are nailing all their notes. Doe, there's doe. Let's go through them. There's doe. <laughs> You can remember that one because it's a it's a, a female deer. And then there's there is Ray, which which is a, just a single drop of a golden, which sign. is a stepdad's name. <laughs> <laughs> Me, which is not really a name; it's more of a pronoun that I call myself. Yeah. And then five, of course, a long, long way to run a tea, a drink of jam and bread. La, a note that follows. So yeah, this has been. I'm not. I know I'm not the first person to say this. That's a placeholder lyric. Yeah. <laughs> That's a placeholder lyric that never got updated. Uh, right, but the but the the genius thing is to take the is to eventually follow in love with that placeholder lyric and then make it the focal point of the song where they're going like oh no to follow so, 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 so. you know like they, they just they like to they revel in it eventually but i yeah that second half is so good like you're saying andy the so do la fa mi fo do re part wow. is uh, uh, incredible later when they're performing it in salzburg as a family the version they sing there with the tea and with jam and bread fugue yeah so gorgeous it's just it's such a testament roger and hammerstein were so talented like the idea that they're like just asked to write you know a few songs and they come back with this whole catalog what is it to write a song yeah and then like everyone is so good but then you got some real heavy bangers like this that are so iconic that yeah you're learning them in school when you haven't even seen this movie before so after our beautiful musical solfege montage, Georg is in the car. He's riding back to the villa with the very hot Baroness and the very sassy <laughs> Uncle Max. Uncle Max talks about how he's looking for a musical act to represent at the Salzburg Music Festival. We finally get a little shot of Georg being charming while he's like trying to flirt with the Baroness all around the grounds. And then we get a second appearance of Nazi Rolf. He's throwing stones at Liesl's window. Again, a thing that's like very romantic in theory, but just kind of looks stupid. Um, And uh, what I wrote down here that I love is that this is the first instance of the captain yelling at a Nazi. Uncle Max and the Baroness are like making excuses and equivocating and the captain is yelling at them that you don't just have to sit back and accept what's coming. We see, I, you know, I said before and I have confidence that we like finally see the mer- full Maria. I feel like this is the moment where we're like, oh, you're a captain. Okay. Yeah. Oh, captain, my captain. <laughs> Obviously, Julie Andrews gets a lot of credit for why this movie is so great but i think christopher Plummer is cast in- insanely well in this in this movie because he he gives you like this strength but also this like vulnerability that really pays off eventually yeah um where he's like he seems like a wounded child when you first meet him but he still also seems tough and i think it's a uh, i think he's He's something that I keep coming back to. The more the more and more I watch it, I'm just like really, really impressed with uh, casting him. I don't know that anybody else. I don't know that he would have been their first choice for a sea cat, like for a cat, you know, like a guy who looks like a captain or whatever. But he was such a perfect choice for uh, like carrying the emotional weight of the guy in the movie. Um, and then Max is a Max is a riot. Max seems awesome. Max is uh, awesome. He's like a Dudley Moore character that's just plopped into the <laughs> middle of this movie. It's incredible. Can I ask, though, like, so Max is awesome. The kids are obsessed with him. But, like, why exactly? Like, he is not actually charming. He just is talks he? about money 
And that's literally it. He seems like funny and charming and he's sort of that just sort of yeah. <laughs> drunk uncle, fun drunk uncle. He's vibe. favorite so Uncle Max. <laughs> it's very revealing that uh, Georg shuts down his house, doesn't let his kids have any fun, doesn't let them play. And then he's like, I got to leave for a month to hang out with this fucking sleaze bag that I know. <laughs> like that that has always struck me as very funny that he's he's such a disciplinarian but then when he goes out he's with these cosmopolitan like weak-willed no no principled uh cosmopolitan people uh from the from the city when he goes to hang out. Who knows what he's getting into, you know? I do want to say too, uh, just off of talking about how Chris, Christopher Plummer is great in this movie, that he, if, if you guys don't know, hated this movie. <laughs> he hated working on it. Yeah. He called it the sound of mucus. And he he said that working with Julie Andrews, and this is a quote, was like being hit over the head with a big Valentine's Day card every day. <laughs> I mean, that seems like something he might have said kind of sardonically, but not, but not like super sincerely. I know that he, I have a DVD edition of sound of music that opens with the two of them hanging out they like, yeah they have since later. like they're they're friends now and he's since said that he was wrong and he's since said that he was an asshole but he at the yeah. time definitely felt like it was kind of sappy and and didn't really like doing it but i think that that is essential to his ter- performance and that it sort yeah. of informs why his performance is so great as the captain yeah he really resisted that relationship <laughs> yeah the hills really did fill his heart with the sound of music <laughs> Yeah. So, um, Captain's being charming. The kids and Maria arrive on a canoe. They make an entrance falling into the water. There's a fun anecdote about how little Gretel doesn't know how to swim. And, like, on the take that we see in the movie, Julie Andrews falls the wrong way. And so one of the other actresses has to save Gretel. And she ends up vomiting water all over her because she took in a bunch of water. And it's something that Julie Andrews said, like, kept her awake at night, like, for years. I didn't know about the vomiting and water part when I said it was cute, <laughs> importantly. I didn't know this was a Quentin Tarantino uh, scene. Yeah, I don't know if the vomit is on camera. Go back. Eagle-eyed viewers will notice. Yeah. <laughs> Maria and the kids have just, like, ruined this picture-perfect military family dream that the captain has. Oh, no. Oh, no. They created a memory. Oh, no. How dare. Maria and the captain have a fight. But then their fight ends because he hears that the kids are singing a welcome song that Maria has taught them to sing for the Baroness. And we get this just like truly lovely. It made me tear up a little bit when we watched it this time. Uh, scene of like of the of the captain um, realizing that he has forgotten about music and then he remembers it and then he joins them singing. There's a moment where all the kids stop singing because they're stunned to hear him singing and they've just never heard that before. Um, and then they finish the song and they hug for like, for sure this is the first time that he's hugged his children in five years. Right. There was, yeah, There, I think the Reverend Mother maybe at some point says something about how he's kind of locked away anything that reminds him of his dead wife. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like music is probably a part of that, too. And so I think, like, that scene does a really good job of showing, like, he's locked it off when it's on his terms, but this isn't on his terms. So, like, oh, he's being yeah. forced to hear his kids sing. And he, like, actually doesn't have any, um, like, will to <laughs> prevent it. 
when there's like the smallest crack to that because it is such a touching thing for him um, and a big part of, you know, his his love. Um, and so it's just like him immediately caving to that when presented with the opportunity. Yeah, this scene destroys me every time I see it. I, I start sobbing when I watch this scene every single time. And uh, I love that it's I love that it's him sort of giving up. And again, yeah. it's Christopher, Christopher Plummer is so is so so good at it when he comes in and when he start when he sings that uh he joins in on the song it's uh it's just i don't know it's incredible it's very very emotional to me something about the there's a few moments in this movie where someone someone gives up an emotional wall that they've put up themselves mm-hmm. and that always hits for me really really hard and that's that's one of the moments where it happens Steph knows this for me something that always gets me emotionally during a movie is uh, a deadbeat dad doing the least <laughs> and, I, and I think that I think we can go ahead and file that under this. I mean, I, 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 it hurts for me to think about it that way. That way, but okay, All he's right. not a deadbeat, obviously, but he's a stonewall in his. He's own. like he's somehow the opposite of a deadbeat. He's like he's like the opposite, and and in some ways worse. That'd be like a live kiss, <laughs> uh-huh. a warm hug. It's a live. Live kiss dad. He loves the he loves the kisses live live albums. It's like on Wheel of Fortune when they choose living things as their final category. It's always yeah. creepy. We get this moment and then he leaves the scene of with the kids and the Baroness and like goes out and immediately apologizes to Maria. It's just like a lovely little tag to that. And then we're going to go smash cut, frankly, into the yodeling puppet show. Oh, Once that wall is down, it is down. It is. It <laughs> there are no barriers to singing in this house anymore. So this song is called The Lonely Goat Herd. A thing that I learned that I hadn't really remembered is that in the stage show, a lot of the songs are in a different order. They sort of futzed around with a lot of it for the movie. And Lonely Goat Herd is what she sings to the children to cheer them up during the thunderstorm. Dory Me is like a tour. I'm sorry. My favorite things is in like a totally different spot. And Lonely Goat, this is like the story that she told and i think this is a great example of like taking advantage of your medium to do something different but also how like they do it by like putting a little mini stage show in the middle of this movie and it works i mean i'll say that the for the first time i watched this movie i i I sort of thought, okay, this is the one thing I could see cutting the Lonely Goat Herd. Uh, Never. Just because it's a three-hour movie, we get that she is getting close with them in other scenes, but then the second time we we watched this movie, I I admitted I was wrong about that. (laughs) That this is, uh, it's not only a, a lot of fun puppetry that, like, was not, well... It probably not only was around at the time, but it was like the peak of entertainment at the time. But it also <laughs> does show that they she's basically coaching them for show business, so to speak. Oh, Uncle Max is watching this thing with he dollar signs. He turned into that emoji with the eyes. yeah, the dollar signs and the dollar tongue. <laughs> yeah, it's a necessary plot device in that sense because you know Max's obsession with getting them to be a family band, I think, wouldn't come out of just their initial performance. There are great shots of the captain just like genuinely yeah. laughing and enjoying himself in a way that he just like seems like a person for the first time. Yeah, I probably think. not seen outside of a outside of a cabaret when he goes into town for a month to not spend <laughs> time with his children. Um, and it breaks up so much in him that afterward, the children like peer pressure him into singing Edelweiss, and then and then like it just immediately transitions into. 
I didn't know. So this this is a song that was written by Rodgers and Hammerstein to sound like an Austrian yeah. folk song, but it's not an Austrian folk song. It was written for this musical, and it's I mean, it's a classic. They did a lot of world building on this one, uh, and they did a great job. I mean, because yeah. it really it's like the it's like the Tolkien of uh, of, <laughs> of musicals. I guess there's a, I, I, do, I guess I do want to mention that in in a Catholic retreat program I worked with in high school called Search, we our pre dinner blessing was a song that was to the tune of Edelweiss uh, that someone had written. But it was just it was just like bless this food, bless our friends, come with your faith and surround <laughs> friendship and joy. May they bloom and grow, bloom and grow for etc. Oh wow! But yeah, so that was that was how I knew Edelweiss before this. That's very old fashioned. That used to be like that used to be ninety percent of church <laughs> music in like the early days of the Catholic Church was a song would get popular on the street, and then they'd be like. Mm-hmm. Let's sing that mm-hmm. in the mass. Well, as we well. ain't got a barrel of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Smash cut to yeah, a waltzing party. party. <laughs> Maria teaches Kurt to dance the Lendler, an Austrian folk dance. The captain comes in. He cuts in to the dance. I, I wrote this down. With Maria, who makes that blushing emoji face and then mm-hmm. flees. Uh, the Baroness like sees this whole interaction and literally he does like a whistling like walk away nothing to see here face because he's not in love with maria no way does the baroness make her move on maria right now or is it after the song it's after the song let's talk about this fucking song then oh man this is this yeah. is the one the children say good night to you know how you have to say good night to the whole party <laughs> when your parents are throwing a party <laughs> the von Trapp children do it with a pre-choreographed song so long farewell I mean, this is, I mentioned it at the top of the show, Maddie Smith and I are in our basement in Madison, Wisconsin, fighting out who gets to be the one who flits and floats. Although apparently, so I always fought for Louisa in that particular instance. (laughs) I don't know what that says. They all want different things. Liesl wants to stay and taste her first champagne, but she gets a firm no from the captain. Yeah, it's going to take a few more, it's going to take a few more songs to soften him (laughs) up there. (laughs) Someone someone else has a, a, a lyric where they say, I, I cannot tell a lie. I'm happy to leave. That's Brigida. Okay, that's, yeah, it's got to well, be Brigida. Well, Wednesday Adams Brigida is like, hell yeah, I'm out. Yeah, she wants to go read some horse books in her room, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Uncle Max has a moment where he like coerces Maria into joining the dinner, and she goes to change her clothes, and the Baroness is like, I'm going to help. And instead is Gossip Girl uh, about how the captain has been flirting with her, and Maria just like, she just just like lays it on so hard that Maria has to straight up flee. Fleetly fly. Yeah, she's out. She doesn't even say goodbye. She leaves a note. That's it. XOXO. She doesn't even sing an eight minute song about it. She just, <laughs> she just takes off. Contemporary audiences won't know this, but back in the olden times, this is when you had to switch the tape. There were two, it, it was too big to fit on a single tape. So coming back from intermission, I believe we're at the Abbey. And now we get Maria explaining the whole thing to Mother Abbess. And Mother Abbess tells Maria that she can't hide away. She must face her problems via climb every mountain. Great showstopper. You think this is a showstopper? Another scene that that wrecks me. Yeah, really. That performance also. It's just, it's, this is a breathtaking moment. She was nominated for an Oscar, that woman. Peggy Wood, I believe is her name. For for this? Yeah, the, the, the woman who plays the Mother Abbess. 
Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Not even Christopher Plummer was nominated for an Oscar for this movie. Well, he, he probably would have bitched about it. <laughs> yeah. <tell me> about <laughs> it. Probably would have complained. Um, another thing that I learned is that uh, in the stage show, Climb Every Mountain is where intermission hits. That, like, it really is our, our big culminating act one emotional mm. moment which that makes, makes total that makes sense, sense to me yeah yeah as as a structure for a, a play it is kind of weird that there isn't more of like mm-hmm. a finale to act one like you were saying the joke about no eight minute song but really like you want an eight yeah. minute song before your intermission and so for her to just kind of irish exit out it's <laughs> like the a- opposite of what a director would probably want there just i have no confidence like just, <laughs> just <laughs> you have killed my confidence <laughs> i no longer have confidence and it's the most depressing song you've ever heard in your life and then it <laughs> curtain drops the big uh inspiring number works and maria returns to the von traps um and then just like immediate oh importantly somewhere in here we found out that the captain and the baroness are going to get married and the children catch maria up on this maria's like cool great thing but like cool. immediately <laughs> I made, that night made it back just in time <laughs> yeah well and after that huge pep talk song like it was all about like, okay, even if you don't, you know, you, you don't see like, this is what you had in mind pursuing mm-hmm. this, like you have to go there and pursue this relationship. And Maria's like, yep, you're right. Cool. Going back. I gave up God for this. And shit. then just immediately like, <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll just be here until you find another governess by. She's got a big heart shaped card. She's hiding behind her back now <laughs> for the rest of the scene. <laughs> A fun thing I found, like, I noticed this time, the second time, was that there is a woman being checked in, basically, to the to the abbey as a new nun, and she is wearing a green dress, and then when Maria leaves the abbey and shows up at the house, she is wearing that woman's green dress, because... Because they have to give up all their clothes! And so I assume that, like, they're always just, like, they're like, oh, you want to leave? Okay, let's see, what size are you? And they just go through their lost and found of possessions that have been turned over. I never thought about that, what a depressing thought. <laughs> And some other ladies in like <laughs> lady jail for the rest of her life. Then she walks out of there wearing her crisp green dress to go get ma- to go marry a rich guy. <laughs> like Maria left the abbey, bought that beautiful leather hat and that whole outfit, and then gave it yeah. all away again when she went get went back to the abbey. Right. And she's like, "Well, I guess I'll wear this fucking green dress." Well, anyway, all this to say that the captain sees Maria in a different dress once, and then immediately breaks up with the Baroness. He's like, "Nope." And yeah. and for all her scheming and trying to get Maria out of the house, when the captain breaks up with her. She she says, you know what? That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She literally says, I'll return to Vienna where I belong. <laughs> She's very chill. Yeah. yeah. I think she accepts like, and, you know, probably spending that much time over in Salzburg, slumming it in the burbs. You know, she's itching to get back anyway, I'm mm-hmm. sure. So, yeah. So now the captain is a free man and he walks out and catches up with Maria at the famous gazebo. They confess their love for each other and sing it out. I gotta say, this is the one song that I don't really care about. Wow. I like this moment. The lighting is romantic. It's my favorite song in the movie. Holy shit. <laughs> Let's go. Is that true? That's true. It's absolutely true. I love the music for this movie. I think it's, I think it's all very, I think it's all very great. This is another reason why I wouldn't go see a stage performance of this is because this song isn't in the stage yeah perform oh. stage production and i think it's it's essential to the center of this movie because you are falling in love with julie andrews and christopher Plummer, and this is the moment where the two of them allow their 
walls between each other to fall down which thematically matches everything else that happens in the rest of the movie and it ties the whole thing to me it ties the whole thing together it was written by richard rogers after hammerstein had died or something Uh so the lyrics are very plain and very simple because he didn't have his lyricist so to me it just cuts right to it it just says something very simple these two austrians basically inventing karma for themselves and saying i i assumed up to this point that the rules would preclude us from being able to have this relationship but because we're doing it because we are doing it it's like giving yourself a cheat day. Like, they're like, because we're doing it, we must deserve it somehow. And I don't want to think about it any more than that. And that sentiment, to me, it, it sums up the whole movie in general, and it, it ties the movie together, and it's very, very effective emotionally to me. Like, I just love Maria believing that she's too much of a piece of shit to have love, and then having to eventually say, actually, no, I must be worth something. Because I get, I'm getting choked up right now saying this. How are you selling me I must be worth something to be able to have this moment with you backlit as fuck in this (laughs) studio gazebo that's nowhere, not even in the same country as the house that we've been in the rest of the time. It's one of my favorite love songs, not just my favorite song from the movie. It's funny that you both mentioned the lighting because what I learned about this scene is that it was originally fully lit and something about the lighting rig that they were using was continuously making what julie andrews basically described as a farting noise and so she would she would lean in to kiss him and it would make this it would make this big noise and she would laugh and they tried it i read that they tried it 20 takes 20 takes and she could not do it and finally i mean god bless a director like this he's like fuck it silhouette him (laughs) yeah it's a very brief and very plain song but i think it, it i think it it expresses something that I find very emotionally rich. Yeah, their performance of it too, just their chemistry throughout the whole movie. I mean, in every scene that they're together, there's the tension, um, you know, when yeah. they're after she falls in the water in the canoe, just that palpable tension between them is like, even for a young child, like, ooh, I want some of that. And so this is like also the culmination just of that. Like if I watched the scene on mute, I think it would be equally satisfying for me. Hearing what, you know, your insight on the song, I think makes me appreciate the song a lot more certainly than I did. But um, just their dynamic between the two of them, which is incredible, if that was their 21st take of this after like farting noises (laughs) into it too. Um, And even more so if he was so annoyed with her throughout the production process. Right. But it's the scene is is great for that, if nothing else. Love it. Is it? Do they get married right after this? Yeah, immediately. Immediately. Yeah, it cuts to them getting married at the Abbey. The girl whose dress she stole is standing, standing <laughs> there by singing for her. Yeah, all the nuns are locked behind a gate. Singing, how do you solve a problem like Maria? How yeah. trolling her at her wedding? They're, they didn't even change it to like, this is how you probably solve a problem Mm-mm. like Maria. Mm-mm. Maria has been solved. They've just like changed it into a march now. Yeah, I could see I could see her demanding that. I could see her being like, you know that song you were singing? <laughs> sing it to me now. Yeah, sing that shit now. <laughs> I'm marrying this rich guy. I will say as we as we go through act two, I don't know if it's or what would be act two on stage. It's like act four in the movie. <laughs> but uh, this this movie maybe does suffer a little bit from there's almost no new bangers in, in the second uh-huh. half of the movie. It's a it's a lot of re- reprises reprises reprisals and nazis i also never know whether it's reprise or reprise <laughs> does anybody have like a hard knowledge of that that i could that i could just take with me nope Not nobody knows call. if it's reprise or reprise <laughs> here's okay. a good here's a good call to the audience hey let us know in the comments i think i've heard reprisal more than reprisal See, I, i've never heard reprisal. reprisal that's that's my least favorite von trap child is reprisal <laughs> 
Oh, so I do like this. They, they like, take the church bells and they just sort of, like, go all over Austria and use that as a transition to now the Anschluss has happened and, like, now we're Nazis. Yeah, and it's it's a really great ending of the kind of like era of innocence to the story. We have a um, someone we went to high school with. Um, their parents turned off the movie at that point to say, "Oh, <laughs> this is the end. Happy ending. This is when the story ends. No Nazis." Andy, are you going to write down that Maddie just said that this is a really great that this was really great <laughs> when the Nazis took over uh, Austria and editing and. Edit. Okay. <laughs> but it wasn't until we were watching it in high school that she saw the ending of the movie and was like genuinely oh, confused when the Nazis came in. You were like, okay, we got to show you VHS 2 of Titanic while we're at this. <laughs> Andy, you had, a fa- you had something you read about the filming of this transition scene, right? Well, they went to the Salzburg city officials and they were like, hey, um, we're going to put these Nazi flags all over. And Salzburg's <laughs> like, hang on. Wait, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> we, we had that for real like 30 years ago and we didn't care for it. And the filmmakers are like, oh, okay, well, we'll just use newsreel footage. And all of a sudden, the city officials are like, you know what? It's fine. (laughs) Oh, fake flags? Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, use the fake flags because that newsreel footage for sure shows them just welcoming the Nazis in with open arms. Well, yeah, the officials are in the newsreel footage. Like, going, yeah, yeah! (laughs) Thumbs up. (laughs) So there's Nazi stuff all over. Um, We get a little moment with Ralph. And he's full Nazi now. He's like got you know the the arm thing and everything. I do want to say about the raw, the the penultimate Roth scene that you just mentioned that it's just he he says I have a telegram for your father and Liesl says well don't you want to deliver it tonight to the old house and Roth is like I put away my childish things Liesl yeah. <laughs> I'm a grown Nazi now. Um, we go back to the house. Georg and Maria are returning from their honeymoon. Georg is tearing down a Nazi flag and a gif that you've probably seen a lot. Georg has been commanded to return to the army, which is now the Nazi, or the Navy, importantly, which is now the Nazi Navy. And so they decide that they are going to flee Austria rather than join the Nazis. And completely fly. Gonna- <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't even have to think about that. He no, was he was like just like immediately, immediately like, like, all right, we'll go. He's, and he says, tonight. Mm-hmm. And if, and we know as the viewer, wait a minute, they got that concert tonight. Tonight's the festival. Mm-hmm. So we see them trying to quietly leave. But then we see Franz the butler catching uh, them. Showing his ass. And we can infer that Franz has, he's a little tattletale. Um, and they're caught. That's what we call Nazi informants, right? Yeah, little tattletales. <laughs> we, oh, so they're caught by Herr Zeller and a couple cars of soldiers. Um, and they use the music festival as their cover. They say, we can't go with you to the Navy tonight because we have to sing in the festival. I love that Herr Zeller just like went with it though. Like he's like, you know what? This is a musical. So, okay, you will go sing (laughs) because we do need more songs in the second half. This is kind of, this is kind of the dream I think for any performer is to be in a situation like this where you have to hit the stage despite, (laughs) despite not, not really wanting to, you know, but I, I suppose I, I suppose fate has driven me onto the stage and I must perform. Form tonight. Yeah. I mean, you remember when we had that show canceled because the toilets were overflowing at a venue. <laughs> <laughs> sort of the opposite. I had that same feeling, but we couldn't do it. They wouldn't let us. 
Yeah. That's a real thing that happened to me and Hal a couple of months ago. But so we get it we get these performances. These live yeah, performances. Yeah, we get we get a little yeah. medley of all of our favorite hits. At another beautiful location, this beautiful uh, amphitheater of sorts. I do want to mention that their performance of So Long Farewell, for some reason, this version elevates the song to me. And like when you see them, like I hate to be the asshole who's like, you gotta see them live. But for some reason, (laughs) (laughs) for some reason, when they do this song live, it's really elevated to me and you really feel everyone being impressed by not only the the little choreography of them popping out from behind uh, Maria and the captain, but just, just all of it. I, I love it. Well, they are also like genuinely saying goodbye. Like yeah. just that emotional yes. injection into that performance, I think probably had something to do with it. A little wink. Yeah. And it's a and it's a festival crowd. Uh, the vibe's there. You can't beat <laughs> Hot it. Hot crowd. Yeah, there was I think that uh uh Moby was doing a set at the uh the breath <laughs> the Sert's breath mints tent uh, on the other side of the festival. It does suck that you could hear the EDM stage <laughs> the entire time. Yeah, that's always the problem. That's why they always gotta put EDM in a tent, you know, because it yeah. dr- drowns out all those beeps and boops. So yeah, so it's shocking no one. They give out awards for the festival. The first prize goes to the Von family singers our our spotlight operator is like ready to show them and then they're nowhere to be found some great uh like crashing uh score comes in and we we follow the nazis who arrive at the abbey and they yeah. are stalled by sisters bertha and margaretta we watch mother abbess help the the family hide in the rooftop uh, the rooftop cemetery. The rooftop cemetery. <laughs> okay, this would make a really great set, though. Like, just think of all the gobos and, like... Yes. Yeah. It's very spooky. The family hides behind some big tombstones. Director Robert Wise uses some very effective horror pacing as the Nazis, like, go around and explore and they shake the locked gates and shine flashlights all around. I'm assuming it's Foley work and not, and not live-captured audio, but the sounds in this whole sequence to me terrifying they're as good Mm -hmm. as they're as good as the music i love the the like the feet on the slate is something i remember even as a child really appreciating like hearing people run in the distance in Mm. this or hearing the scuffles of the children as they're running away things like that and then the gate sounds the gate sounds are so good when they're rustling the gates and trying to get them keys trying to unlock the gates it's like all of it is i don't know it's great i'm assuming it's all foley and that's great it's great foley work Amen. This uh, this movie was nominated, or in fact, won an Oscar for Best Sound. Oh, yeah. Well, all right. Does that include the music? Uh, I don't think it does. It, was not, it also won Best Score. So it didn't win for Best Sound of Music. <laughs> <laughs> it's won Best Sound of Music at the Sound of Music Festival every year since. <laughs> okay, so... Um, they so they do, almost get away. They almost get away, except... As the Nazis leave the graveyard, we see young Rolf is among them, and and his spidey sense makes him stay, um, and yeah. he pulls a gun on the family as they flee out to the caretaker's car. You gotta admit, it's a pretty little, pretty wily move by little Rolf. I, he, it really is. He hides until they think they're safe, and when, the, when they come out, he pulls a gun on him, yeah. And then does nothing. <laughs> and well, and then Georg tells uh, he he uh, Georg tells Maria to get the kids out of there. And uh-huh. then it seems like he could get away. It really seems like Georg could get away scot free here. He's used his big dick energy to like scare off yeah, into nothing. Yeah. But he has to get his little jabs in on Roth and he looks at him in the eyes and he says, 
you're not cut out for this. You can't do this. And Roth says, I'll show you. And he blows a whistle. And the family drives away and the Nazis run to their cars to try and follow them, but their cars won't start. The sisters Bertha and Margareta have sinned by stealing Nazi car parts. God forgives them. That's not in the text, but we feel it. Mother Abbas looks on them pretty, pretty approvingly. So. Okay. I, I think I saw her nod. They are actually all in in hell now for, for <laughs> yeah. specifically that. I think, but I think that they atoned and um, <laughs> it was still in a time where you could pay for that kind of thing. <laughs> right, right. You could just pay money just, and not yeah. go to hell. I, I'd like to think that they're, that they're in hell, but they're like, that was, wor- it was still worth it. <laughs> <laughs> they were such cute children. And the yeah. Nazis are there too. And they're like, you got us. <laughs> Um, and that's it we close on the family hiking over the Alps we get a final helicopter shot an ethereal climb every mountain moment and they're off to find their dream it's a bit literal like climb every mountain come on we get it It because also this is one of the things that's not true to life they in fact took a train Uh ride every train out of town Go to Italy. Buy a ticket to Switzerland. <laughs> and just real, I do. I guess I do also want to say that climb every mountain is 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 bad advice. There's some bodies on Everest to uh, agree, <laughs> agree with you there. There's a couple of trivia things here I didn't get to, so let me just run through them. Uh, one is that uh, a South Korean theater o- owner thought the movie was too long, so he had the projectionist edit out all the singing numbers. <laughs> wow. And that just really tickles Real me. porno without the porno there. Uh, <laughs> this movie, it won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Sound, Best Editing, and Best Score. Julie Andrews and Peggy Wood nominated as well as Cinematography, Set Decoration, and Costumes. How it didn't win Cinematography is insane to me. Who beat Julie Andrews? Uh, Julie Christie, who was in uh, Dr. Zhivago. Well, she was in Dr. Zhivago, but, uh, but she, Zhivago. she didn't win for Zhivago. She won for uh, Darling. Oh. Which I did not, I had never heard of before, but I looked it up. Here's a synopsis. Beautiful but amoral Diana Scott sleeps her way to the top of the London fashion scene at the height of the swinging 60s. Ugh, typical. What about, um, so what about cinematography? Who beat Who beat this for cinematography? That was Dr. Zhivago. That was Dr. Mm. Yes. Which I have not seen, but. Better be fucking beautiful. Well, I guess before we go into the song, let's talk about it. Is there is there anyone that you guys could see as Maria or the captain if we were to make this today? Honestly, Ariana Grande. Hell yeah. Like, there could be a funny, like, thank you next moment with the governesses. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, you know who I, you know who I think could really work or could really not work as Georg would be DiCaprio. Oh, I Ooh. thought you were going to say Pete Davidson. <laughs> 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 I could see DiCaprio if he brings some of that uh, Django Unchained energy. I mean, not as racist, but... Because I could also see him, you know, and what was that that movie from last year, Don't Look Up, where he he was sort of uh, yes. fighting mm-hmm. against the mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. I just I, I I do think he's le- he's legit very very good, and also he's he's good in a way that doesn't alienate people in general, and I think that's what you probably yeah. want. Does he sing? Christopher Palmer doesn't sing. Oh, that's true. He's dubbed, but we don't do that anymore, kind of right. I guess uh, I think Austin Butler did a little bit in, in Elvis. Okay, so so Russell Crowe and Ariana Grande, <laughs> the couple. These are not a few of my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> what do we think about that? Cast I love it. Pair? I love it. No one could have a problem with that. 
as always, whenever you make one of these, remake one of these musicals, you got to add a song in, right? You got to put a new song in to try and get that best new song, best original song Oscar. And that's what I've done here. I've written a new song to insert in a remake of this movie because what this movie needs is more songs. I will say this would be a this would be an, an act two song. This would be a late in act two song. Oh, good. Because we need one of those. We do need one of those. And the, the characters who I locked in on who I thought could really use a song are the two nuns who sabotage the Nazis' cars. Uh, and so I wrote what ended up being a duet for these two nuns. Tina Hoff, last week's guest, sings uh, one of the nuns and I sing the other. And uh, that is uh, how I wrote the song Sabotage in the Name of the Lord. Oh, boy. It is legitimately my new favorite song. Hot <laughs> musical, the movie, the podcast debut. Here it is. Uh, Sabotage in the Name of the Lord. Love is patient, love is kind, love is taking garnet shears to a break line. Lead us not to temptation, <laughs> but when nuns do it, then it's not a sin. We're moving right under cover of night, because the Lord's light guides us on. Our hearts were huge through subterfuge on these fascist Nazi scum. Sabotage the name of the Lord. Sabotage because we were bored. I spill sugar in your gas tank, what a klutz. Whoops, I spill taps where you sit your butt. In Christ's name we sabotage in the name of the Lord. <laughs> it's a tough way for to choose. It's a mortal sin to fuck with Jesus' crew. Sabotage the name of the Lord. Sabotage because we were bored. So Maria left the nuns to be a slut. This broad may be kooky, but she's one of us. And that's why we sabotage the name of the Lord. There it is. <laughs> I love it. Lord. <laughs> I love it. The underlay was very kind of like Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I forgot the name of that song. Cell Block Tango. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Cell Block Tango. Very. Uh, I was getting very House of the Rising Sun energy out of, <laughs> oh, energy out of it. That's you know I had that uh, guitar in there because it was the closest thing I could I could find to a harpsichord. <laughs> but then I then yeah, I just rolled okay. with it. All right. <laughs> I'm surprised that it didn't have some kind of like, like flourish at the end where they're like in the Lord, something like that. But to be fair, they're trying to be quiet at that point. That that is true. Yeah. And so, but it would be funny if one of them was like in the Lord and the other was like, (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, Also. And yeah, speaking of those, those under uh, the, the chorus of voices, you may uh, shout out to Steph, who is one of those voices as well. Whispering is my dream role. Snip. What is it? Snip, slice. It's snipping, slaying, slashing, praying. Okay. And 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 slaying is in there. They are slain. Yeah. 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 There would be a scene in my movie where they'd go up behind a Nazi and just slit his throat while they're singing that song. <laughs> oh, I I meant more in the way of like slay. Oh uh, no! Uh, yeah, they'll do that too. Uh, and then the other one, they like, like they like, like snap like... afterward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Well, yeah, now that you've drawn some attention to these characters and you've kind of given them like a Hakuna Matata moment, because <laughs> it's like it's like these two oddball nuns. <laughs> yeah. Presumably one of them is, is going to be like uh, really long and slender and the other one's going to be very short and fat. Yeah. And, uh, Played by Harvey Firestein, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> yeah. I did like the closure that it brought to the whole how do you solve a problem like Maria dynamic because uh-huh. it, w- the line was something like she's kind of a or she's kooky. This broad may be kooky, but she's one of us. It, yeah, exactly. It, it just puts a nice kind of bow on that. Like we still fucking hate her guts, but look, she lived here with us and yeah, was she's, a, a, she's in the family. Us. Yeah. Maybe now's a good time to mention that the only place you can find the songs that we do on every single episode of Musical the Movie the Podcast is our Patreon, patreon.com slash dumbfun. That's where all these songs live, as well as bonus content from 30 characters and from Fanny Falls Demon Hunter, the other show that comes out on alternating Mondays to this show on the Dumb Fun family of podcasts. And so I guess with that, let's let's roll right into some plugs. Hal, what, what, what would you like to plug? So they got to go to your Patreon to get the song. Does that mean that in the in the actual episode you're gonna have like a you have a woman going dumb fun property like over the over the song as it plays in the episode. That's the underlay. It's me going DJ dumb fun. <laughs> uh, okay, my plugs. I I host uh, Hal Dottie's Fast Track, which is a show where me and a guest write a brand new song in one half of one hour. I am approaching the season two finale of that in, uh, in the coming weeks, and then I will be doing a special Tracktober series again this year where I write scary songs with guesting podcasts. Uh, you can listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts and then i have a i have i do three bonus episodes a month for my patreon subscribers which uh you can support that show at patreon.com slash h-o-w-e-l-l-d-a-w-d-y uh patreon.com slash hal dotty i also have a radio show called big howl and possum that airs every monday night at 10 p.m on uh wfpk.org and also big how uh big howl and possum have a podcast as well that comes out thursdays that you can also listen to wherever you listen to podcasts i have a twitch stream that's called big howl dotty and i stream a few times a week over there so check that out as well love that i've i've been on pretty much all those things that you just listed <laughs> and, i think so and it's yeah. it's always a delight always a delight when you're hanging out with the possum with that dynamic if listeners don't know he's a possum that should explain it um, talking possum yeah, yeah the uh the fast track show eagle-eyed listeners may remember that from when we discussed it two hours ago and yeah. uh and then and then um yeah, it's it's you're you're one of this nation's great entertainers. Uh, I, I I heartily recommend that people check out the video uh, on YouTube of you doing your song "The Devil Came a Knocking." There's an incredible uh, video of you doing that for a studio audience. Uh, it's one of my favorite. I, I show it to people like I listen I listen to it like once every couple. I go back every once every couple of months, make sure it's still there, watch it. It's one of my favorite things <laughs> yeah. in the world. Thank you. Uh, of Thanks. course, uh, Maddie. I know that you're not an entertainer of, of any kind, but hey, do no. you have anything you'd like to plug? <laughs> You're you're a very entertaining person. Didn't uh, mean any offense by it. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Yes, I would like to plug the November 8th midterm elections, specifically the Secretary of State races, specifically Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, Nevada, and Michigan. Also others, but I'd like to plug those specifically. Fuck yeah, follow the sound of music and kill all the nazis oh okay so you do care who they vote for in those elections yes i should specify (laughs) (laughs) just that position generally certifies the results um Mm. or oversees the process of the actual election for many states so these midterms are very consequential for upcoming elections and the validity and um 
yeah, of those. So, so we got to get our guys in there, listeners. Wink, wink. You know which side we mean, right? <laughs> wink. Sure. Yep. <laughs> Austrian nationalists. That's who we got to get in there. Um, I would, as always, like to plug this very podcast, Musical the Movie the Podcast, on alternating Mondays on the Dumb Fun Network. And go support our Patreon. Steph's a nursing student now. She needs your help. <laughs> Steph gets a taste of that money. The hosts of 30 characters get a taste of that money. Steph Weber from Fanny Falls Demon Hunter gets some of that money. Uh, there's a lot of mouths to feed. Not a lot of money there right now. <laughs> so uh, so go yeah. in there. Check out that. You know how it is, Hal. Go in there. Oh, yeah. Check out that Patreon. Well, I, I, I've, I've said this to my Patreon supporters. I eat. I eat no matter what. Uh, but if you guys aren't paying me, my dog, my wife, they might like. I'm gonna, I, I I'm gonna eat. Okay. Yeah. Don't worry about me. Yeah. You should be worried about are my dog and my wife, and that's why I need your Patreon. Support. Me and Steph's sweet tortoise um, needs your Patreon support. Yeah. Um, so go in there and, and help Gus out. Uh, thank you, Maddie. Thank you, Hal, for being our guest on this episode. Th- this movie rules. We recommend you check it out. It's on Disney Plus. Yeah, but try to watch it somewhere besides that. I guess so. Vote for Disney in those in those midterm elections. <laughs> uh, that's it, everybody. Thanks a lot. Join us uh, in a couple weeks when we'll be talking about Little Shop of Horrors. We'll be watching Little Shop of Horrors. Oh hell yeah! What? Yeah, truly one of my favorite musicals, Little Shop of Horrors, that's coming out soon. Uh, so we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Musical the movie, the podcast. Musical the movie, the podcast. Musical the movie, the podcast. With Andy and Steph. Fun, dumb.